what was so alarming was how little these high school students especially knew about sex and the questions that they were you know that would come up and you know it's like who is teaching you about prevention and safety and and it's just it was wild i remember one question was whether or not duct tape was a suitable contraceptive welcome to the true fiction project a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction every week we begin with an interview nonfiction, followed by a creative piece fiction inspired by something from the interview the idea is to demonstrate of course that fiction is born out of our life experiences now here's your host storyteller author public speaker health and wellness expert renita hora welcome back to the true fiction project I'm your host, Renita Hora, and I have with me on today's show, Tramel Tillman. He's an actor on Apple TV's Severance, if you have seen that show. If not, I highly suggest you should. We'll get more into that a little bit later. And he also does a bunch of work on Broadway. He's a philanthropist. Wow, that's a lot of ground to cover. Hi, Tramel. Welcome <laughs> to the True Fiction Project. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. Yes, as am I. There are so many things to talk about. And um, I'm going to dive right into what I think is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I met you recently uh, during a screening for episode one of the Severance show that was in LA and I came up to chat with you later. I had just introduced you as King Lear on the play on podcast in a promo. Um, and I mentioned that there was a question that the moderator at that particular session was asking all of the cast and, uh, <laughs> you know, the director of the show and everything. And, the question was, what is your worst uh, nightmare job? What's the most, what's the worst job that you've ever had? I think that's what the question was. And everybody gave, you know, their answers. Yours particularly stood out. So without any spoilers, I ask you the same question. What is the worst job you've ever had? The worst job that I've ever had is also the job that I was the worst at. And it was an abstinence educator for middle and high school students in Mississippi, specifically Jackson, Mississippi, and Pearl, Mississippi. And why was it the worst job? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was based from a nonprofit organization that wanted to spread abstinence to you know, public school students. And unfortunately, at that time in Mississippi, it was a high rate of STD cases and pregnancy. So the organization decided to develop this curriculum and my job was to teach the curriculum. I was horrible at it because I didn't teach the <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> I was very honest with these students. I didn't teach them about sex because it wasn't my job, but instead created a platform, you know, a forum where we could talk honestly about sex and, you know, their influences behind it. And what was so alarming was how little these high school students especially knew about sex. And the questions that they were, you know, that would come up and, you know, it's like, who is teaching you 
about prevention and safety. And, and it's just, it was wild. I remember one question was whether or not duct tape was a suitable contraceptive. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Yeah, See, I'm not I... kidding. <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere else with this. I thought you were going to say that this was a really bad job because how how does anybody go into sort of a high school student mm. scenario where mm. all they want to do is talk about sex? So obviously mm. it's it's going to be hard for anyone. That's where I thought you were going with this, but clearly not. Well, it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, you know, these kids are eager to talk about it because Mississippi is a part of the Bible Belt and there's not many places where young people can talk openly about it, especially in the school system, you know? So mm -hmm. while my job was not to do a sex education course, which these scholars definitely needed, my job was just to give them options. And, you know, I was honest with them. You know, I wasn't going to lie to them and say, you know, the sex is bad and it's a horrible thing. You know, I, I was just very, very blunt to the mm -hmm. point where encouraging them to focus on their options and focusing on graduating and, and developing friendships and relationships that will launch you forward into your dreams. And then, of course, it spiraled into something totally different. So this is it, right? <laughs> because what you're saying sounds perfectly reasonable to me, right? Give them mm -hmm. the options, mm -hmm. explain to them. Mm -hmm. But then you say it spiraled into something totally different. So what was that? Well, it was the specifics about sex. It was about, <laughs> you know, does it hurt? You know, you know, are you going to fall apart if you don't have sex? You know, all of these myths that are surrounding that a lot of these kids have uh, growing up right now. And you know, we're all, we've been teenagers before, we know what that's like. And anytime you tell us, no, as a teenager, don't do this, what's gonna happen? Yeah, we're gonna go do it, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's like, if I, I wasn't gonna sit and hold hand and say that, you know, listen, um, don't have sex. I know you all aren't having sex. It was like being honest, it was like these kids, they're exploring, they're trying to figure out who they are and what they want in life and, and trying to fit in. And, and that was the norm. And unfortunately, it still is the norm. You know, a lot of people are very exploratory when it comes to sex. So, you know, having this conversation about contraceptives, having this conversation about um, how to say no, if you're not ready, mm -hmm. um, also about STDs and, and protection, you know, I did my best, Renita, to stay away from <laughs> the sex-specific talk. But like, you can't talk about abstinence without talking about the thing. And sex the thing. was the Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yes. You know? And I will say, and I'm, this is not a reference to you, Tramel, but some of us, like me, never mm. really grow out of our teenage brain. In fact, that's mm. where we thrive. It's our happy place. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I do remember... You sitting on that chair with, you know, on that, uh, it was a stool without a back and that kind of thing really stays with me, stools without backrests. Um, but <laughs> you said, I was really bad at this job because I was just telling them how great it was. <laughs> <Is that true? laughs> yes, it was, you know, I wasn't going to scare them into not having sex. I was like, guys, sex is great. It's awesome. But <laughs> there's a caveat. You know, you have to be emotionally ready for that. You got to be prepared. You know, you don't want to rush into it. It's got to be with the right 
the right situation and the right stipulations. And if you are going to participate, then protect yourself. You know, and what was what I could tell they appreciate was the honesty. And Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, those eyes were so wide and those jaws were so low to the ground because of the fact that we're in this place where we're not allowed to talk about sex in a public Mm -hmm. school forum, you know? And here it was, someone coming off the street, you know, saying, listen, this is what it is. I'm not going to lie to you. And I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Right. Now, I have to ask, the organizers of the program, were they actually appreciative of all of this? Because you you put a different spin on it and from the sounds of it, gave them some really useful information. Duct tape aside, you know, (laughs) or... Or did they get totally upset that, you know, you totally missed the boat or, you know, turned it the other way? <laughs> they never knew. Uh, <laughs> and unless they're listening to this podcast right now, they have, they now know right. that I have uh, deviated from the curriculum a little bit. Because um, oh that was the nature of the program. It was they would give us a book and the curriculum was dated. You know, it didn't apply to these students. You know, it was like they they would have these little designs or these little, um, what do you call it, modules or demonstrations where you would have a piece of tape and mm-hmm. I would take some masking tape. This is an example, right? You take some masking tape and you wrap the masking tape around your hand like a boxer would, other mm-hmm. but the other way where the sticky side is out, right? Okay. And so we would give this example is... This is what it's like having sex with someone. I put my sticky hand on your sleeve and then I go and have sex with another person and put my sticky hand on that sleeve and all this stuff. (laughs) And we just kind of spread it around. (laughs) And so the visual was like, you see the residue, you see what's left over um, on this adhesive. And the more you stick to people, you realize that your stickiness, the adhesive starts to wear out. Hmm. So the adhesive was representative of your ability to connect with people, according Hmm. to the module. So I presented them with that. It left them with a very strong impression. It gave them something to think about. And I think that's the thing about sex. A lot of people have different views about it. And again, we're looking at it from a very religious standpoint. This is a very religious area. So within the realm of religion, it's so much when you have sex, the more you have sex with a bunch of people, the ability to connect with someone like your soulmate Mm -hmm. does not exist, you know? So if you buy into that, that's a very vivid example. But if that's not your frame of reference, that's not what you believe, then what? Then what? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering where they got the idea of the duct tape now. <laughs> <It makes sense. laughs> you know, I hadn't even thought about that. Look at that. <laughs> there we go. Perfect for the Bible Belt at that. I have to ask, how old were you at the time, if I may ask? Oh my gosh. How old was I? I had to have been in my late 20s. Late in 20s. In my late 20s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're and a, a little seasoned fun fact, adult. I'm a seasoned <laughs> yes. adult. And a little fun fact when I was being trained for this program, 
um, the the administrators that were leading the program, they always said the kids are going to ask you whether or not you're abstinent. It's mm -hmm. up to you if you want to share that. Uh, and I said that I didn't want to lie. So for the purpose of teaching the program, I remained abstinent. Oh, wow. And yeah, I just like, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try something different. I'm gonna just try it. Give myself a shot. And while I was teaching this program, I was abstinent. So when they asked me, it was like, Mr. Tillman, are you abstinent? I was like, yeah, I yeah. am for right now. I didn't say for right now, but I was like, as I'm practicing it, because I, I also believe you practice what you preach. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if, you know, granted, at that time, I already had my degree. You know, I graduated from Jackson State University, summa cum laude. I had a job. You know, I was figuring out what I wanted to do in my career. So I was in a different place than where these high school and middle school students were. Um, I had the things that they were looking for uh, or working for. But I, I wanted to kind of join the effort, if you will, temporarily to see how I would do. So, And... You know, as you say all of this, I cannot help but think how this would make such a fantastic young adult story, especially oh, if you were invited back now to say, hey, let's take you out to the school districts yet again. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. time you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to do this again. <laughs> Your character. <laughs> so just some right. food for thought there. That's interesting. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so switching gear just a little bit, I would love to talk about Severance. This is mm -hmm. one of the most fun shows I have seen. And I know I speak for a multitude of people, including Russ, our producer, who is listening in on this. Um, you play the role of Seth Milchik, who... Yes can turn a simple smile or an office dance party into something foreboding. I think that might have been sort of a direct quote that I read somewhere in one of the, but, but I saw it and I saw that first episode and that whole dance thing. Okay, tell me about how did you come up with this character? I know it was written, but how did you come up with your interpretation? <laughs> well, for me, it was really about finding the why. There was so much about Milchek that was a mystery you know this this role is specifically written as a african-american uh mm -hmm. black role and i kept asking myself you know with this name like seth milchek you know i have not encountered a seth milchek in my communities that i've interacted with and in in a world that is very specific um a world that is like mind control and it seems this guy Milchek is very militaristic and, you know, unitary, mm -hmm. unitarian. It's like all of this, this function, like why does he buy into this culture? And I had extensive conversations with Ben Stiller and Dan yeah. Erickson, Ben, the director, Dan, the writer and show creator about mm -hmm. this world. And what they gave me is that he's an enthusiastic company man. And so for me, it became a great acting challenge to build a three-dimensional character where it made sense that he would buy into this and that he believed in this, this ability mm -hmm. to separate your work from your personal life. And so everything from the smile, um, the dance parties, the incentives, the, the, the disciplinarian um, move, 
it all had, I felt that he had to be a guy that you wanted to trust, but he could turn on you in an instant. There you go. And I think so much of this separation of work life from home life is, uh, the point of the show without any without any spoilers it's still difficult to figure out you still sure, have to sure. watch it to figure out yes. but with this particular character you're absolutely right i mean he's fiercely loyal he mm-hmm. you have this way of working with the rest of the cast you clearly you know have this great collaboration you're working in tandem with kobel to keep the employees in check And however, or in addition to all that, you can switch off your emotions like a light bulb. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult to get there to have sort of this, I don't know, Jekyll and Hyde aspect? So I haven't told a lot of people this, but I developed a process into building Milchek. Every time Mm -hmm. I was called on set, this is what I would do. So we would always have a call and my call was maybe about 40 minutes Um, I would get picked up 40 minutes before my call. Mm -hmm. So I would wake up two hours before my time of pickup and Mm -hmm. meditate, do a workout, and really drop in to Milchek. I see. There's a a, uh, duck amongst, uh, duck along the water kind of feel with Milchek. So even though he's mean? very serene. So, you know, um, when you see a duck go across mm-hmm. the water, it's very still, very serene. But mm-hmm. then underneath the 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 feet and the pedaling is just so fast and so I steady. See. So yeah. for me, I felt that really embodied who he was. This was a guy, still waters run deep. Like this man, <laughs> it just walks in the space and he's smooth, but there is an engine that turns underneath it so for me it was a lot about control it was a lot of um regimented breathing it was a lot Mm -hmm. of pacing and very um paying attention to facial expressions fantastic and you mentioned earlier that you worked quite intensively with ben stiller the director Mm -hmm. and with dan to help shape this character what was that like? I mean, we think of Ben Stiller as this hilarious comedy actor, but I hear he's quite the intense director. He is. He's very intellectual. He's very sharp, um, very specific in his way, and also collaborative. You mm-hmm. know, I, I was kind of in, anticipating that being on set would be very silly. It's not. It's serious. It's, <laughs> it's, almost, like, it's almost like being on the severed floor, you know, it's corporate, you know, you go in, you do the job, you focus and you get out of there. And I appreciate that because this world is so specific that you need a, a captain that is going to be able to lead the ship in a strong way. You need that firm hand. Um, and he was always respectful with me and available to me to talk about the lines, to talk about Milchek's history. I built a backstory for Milchek because that's what I love to do, to build backstory for my characters. And I shared that backstory with Dan and Ben, and they shared their idea of his backstory. And it was amazing how they interlinked, how they, you know, there was a lot of similarities there. And so with the differences that they had, I incorporated that and allowed all of that to inform and build who Milchek is and in that Mm -hmm. world. 
Absolutely. So Ben was not going to let you off the hook like uh, the people who created that high school program. <laughs> no. <laughs> let you get oh, away no. with something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Very watchful. He kept a watchful yeah. eye on me. <laughs> is, is the character, your interpretation of it, quite different from what Dan had initially written? I think I added something that they didn't quite expect, you know, because mm -hmm. as it's written, it can be really vanilla, you know, um, mm -hmm. it could also be extremely cartoonish. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to stay away from both of those extremes. I wanted to create a character who was charming because I believe that charm was the way to get what he needed from the refiners. I wanted to create a character who was very strong and capable and smart and, and witty, which is very important when working with Cobell, because Cobell is very sharp. Right. Um, I wanted to create a character who was, be, who was able to be malleable and be able to think on his feet and work um, between any environment, because I believe that, along with his ambition, is what got him to where he is working alongside Cobell. So being able to develop a character who could be that disciplinarian, but could also be a really great guy. Because there's this wonderful line that Mark, played by Adam Scott, says, like, Milchek is a really great guy until mm. he's not, you know, um, and I'm paraphrasing. Absolutely. But that's that's and I said, OK, that that feeds it. So what does that look like? What does a really great guy look like until he's not? And that sinister feeling underneath that. So I, I really appreciated that Dan and Ben were so excited about what I brought to it. Uh, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it might not have been what they anticipated. <laughs> that's I, I'm sure that's just fine and it's it's interesting as you talk about all of these layers and dimensions that you build into a character you know this is a podcast uh, called the true fiction project so it's very much about writing fiction based off of nonfiction. this portion is the nonfiction, the interview um, and then we will throw <laughs> this out to a writer who will then write a fictional piece based on this, and uh, we will audiofy it. But um, it's very important, you know, for writers, as a writer myself, and for the other writers out there, to really think about how, as you are writing, it's important to try and have that character and an actor uh, to play that character in mind, because they will add to the role so mm. much more than you put on paper, you know, and that's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And having the freedom to the trust, right? The freedom and the trust in that actor to be able to bring that out. And I believe that speaks to Ben and Dan's leadership, their vision, that they trusted myself and the rest of the cast to not only just stand and deliver, but also to deliver above and beyond the expectation. And I have to ask, you know, before we switch gear again, there is a season two, yes? Because everyone wants to know. <laughs> yes, we have been renewed for season two. We are so excited. And I have no idea when it's coming out. We, we haven't even started it yet. So it's, it's coming. But yeah, season two is happening. Well, we are all sitting and shaking in our seats here because, you know, season one is just 
it's not enough. That's we're not going to be sort of satisfied with that. <laughs> Tell Dan I. and Ben, okay, <laughs> and Apple TV. I think they all know already. So Tramel, you are involved with so many other things. You've got an off-Broadway show this year, King Lear, in play on podcast. I didn't. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the age yet uh, and depth. <laughs> life experience to play King Lear yet. I did um, Edmund the Bastard in King Lear. Okay. I take it you, you know, Shakespeare, it seems like something you are really drawn to, correct me if I'm wrong. I do love the poetry of it, the, mm -hmm. the language and, you know, I'm a logio, logophile, so I love words, you know, and his use of words and even his invention of words, because Shakespeare made, created a lot of words, you know, it's, it's so beautiful. And that's what I appreciate in the emotion and, and, and finding nuance within it is really, really invigorating. Fantastic. Will we see more of you or should I say, will we hear more of you in Play On? Yes. So I just completed a Play On podcast of Twelfth Night. We did a production of Tough Twelfth Night, and uh, I voiced the role of Duke Orsino. So this hmm. will be different this time. I now play uh, a lover this time rather than a bastard. Quite different, although some would argue <laughs> one what, one leads to the other, or one comes from the it other. Can. <laughs> it could. You're right. It could. See how we got a theme going, you know, for this particular episode. <laughs> Sort of that reminds me, takes me back to sort of where we started out the conversation, uh, that whole high school uh, counselor program, uh, counselor job, that was actually attached to a nonprofit organization, was it not? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes, it so was. Tell us about that or some of your other philanthropical work. I just realized that I have been in nonprofit work for over 20 years. Um, wow. I remember starting a nonprofit probably when I was about 10 or 11 years old. I mean, of course, working in the church, but then working in small organizations that were ancillary organizations that were part of the church, nonprofit. And then because activism is such a heavy thread in my family, you know, coming from my grandparents who were active in voter registration and traveled across the country uh, with the NAACP to ensure that people had the right to vote and also would create transportation to get Black people to go out to vote. It was important to me to have a sense of community involvement. So it, it carried for me. While I was at Jackson State, I was a part of the Children's Defense Fund Freedom Schools Project, which is a literary project that bridges the gap for community involvement and children and literacy. So not only are children learning the joys of reading, but they're learning how they can get involved and make a difference within their families, their, their selves, their communities and their country and, in a, and inevitably the world. Uh, from there, I went on to work with uh, Teach for America. I've, I've worked with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, mm. There was an overnight walk that happened last weekend 
And while I was unable to walk the 16 miles because of just last minute, I was grateful to be able to volunteer to uh, hang signs along the pathway to lead walkers that walked all night um, from sundown to sunup to raise awareness and remind people that there's a community out there for those that are struggling with mental health and suicide. Mm. Absolutely. That's very important, very timely, very topical these days, a huge issue. And um, Mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up. So we are going to list out some of these organizations and the links to them. And of course, to other things that you're involved in, you know, Severance, certainly on Apple TV and Play On podcast. But for our listeners, where should we be keeping track of what you do, your work, you know, where should we follow you? So I'm trying to do better about social media. Listeners, I am horrible (laughs) on social media. Um, But I I am more active on Instagram. So you can follow me, Tremel.Tillman, on Instagram, and I will do my best to present content on there to let you know what the next few things have going on. I'm, I'm, I'm doing better. Just be patient with me. I think you're doing brilliantly. <laughs> you posted on Instagram just days ago uh, a, a great quote about how the arts saved your life. So yeah. I think that's your next series of content, sort of explaining how, why, and what. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll be looking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Tremel, this uh, particular podcast, The True Fiction Project, as I explained, uh, the premise behind it is really to do this nonfiction interview and then to throw that out to one of our fiction writers who will listen to it and be inspired by something from it, I wonder what, uh, and come up with a fiction piece. So my closing question is, if you could give that writer a writing prompt, what would it be? Oh. I could give a writing prompt. Based um, on all the wonderful things we've talked about. <laughs> <laughs> um, activism, arts, and abstinence. Can they all oh coexist? <laughs> a new spin on AAA. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. I feel like AAA. my little ad voice there. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, let's see what he or she or they come up with. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> Same. I'm looking forward to it. Keep me posted about this. I don't know how, oh, how, for how sure. we connect the bridge on this, but I'm excited about this. For sure. Thank you so much for joining us today on the True Fiction Project, Tramel, and best of luck with all of your upcoming endeavors. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. That was Tramel Tillman, an actor, philanthropist, on Broadway, off Broadway, film, theater, TV, <laughs> Apple TV. And I am Renita Hora, your host for the True Fiction Project. Stay tuned for our great piece of audio fiction coming up. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Now that you're by my side, nothing's gonna 
Cause I've got a hand to hold. This is the Garden of Earthly Delights, written by Parker James. Okay, next. All right, state your names and the role you're auditioning for. My name is Michael Germain, and this is my wife, Sephora. We are presenting ourselves to you to fill the positions of the isolated lovers. Um, all right. Begin whenever you're ready. Come, my love. Here we can find the peace we desire to become one under the lustful eyes of another. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holy... Alright, cut, cut, cut. What in the hell was that? Why are you guys quoting Thessalonians? Oops, sorry. Jumped ahead a bit. Okay, well that's not in this scene. Just continue, please. Are you sure, my love? Do not fear the gaze from envious... Oh, dear. I do feel most regretful for lying to the poor man. It appears that he knows the scripture. Cut! Again, what are you two doing? Honey, I need you to find our Lord's strength. This foul heathen must be brought back to the light. You know, I can hear you, right? I know I can summon the muster to tell him, but gosh... Just feel so darn awful to accost another one of our Lord's children. Look back to the book of Job. Our Lord allows for the vile and the wicked to test our true faith in him. Oh, for God's sake. What the hell are you two freaks doing? <gasps> How dare you take our merciful Lord's name in vain. You will burn in hell, you sick... What my heavenly wife means to say is that we're here to save you and your future audience from this wicked display of mortal sins. Okay, fine. I'll bite. How is putting on a live retelling of Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights a, what did you say, wicked display of mortal sins? Huh. Curious that a man that is clearly at least somewhat knowledgeable of the scripture is unaware of the grave mistake you're making. Okay, yeah, no, you lost me. Please explain before security gets here. Of course, you people continue to turn your back to the Lord and use violence to shun the true believers. I'm sorry, you people? Yes, you people, the non-believers. Okay, what are you two actually doing here? The ad clearly stated this play would be fully nude and depict full sex acts. We were fully aware. We were sent up north on a mission to save this city from sin. Once we saw your ad... We knew we had to come and try to pull you back into the light. This play is sadly only going to encourage our unwed masses that premarital <clears throat> relations are not only something acceptable, but something to celebrate and even engage in. Wait, wait, let me get this straight. You took time out of your own day to create actors' profiles, headshots, and everything. Just to come and preach that my show is going to make people have sex? Don't say that word. What word? Sex? Yes. Every time somebody says that word, a penguin dies. <laughs> You're joking, right? I would never joke about something this serious. All right, all right. Brushing past that. So what exactly do you want me to do? 
cancel this show on behalf of your abstinence mission? This painting clearly depicts the story of Adam and Eve, and how beautiful the world can be when we enjoy our earth vices. No, that painting is a warning of the Lord's wrath for indulging in these mortal sins. We don't want you to cancel it. Just adjust your messaging. And get these people covered up. So, totally change it? In short, yes, for in the book of Corinthians, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Ugh. All right, let's just say that I totally change it. Then what? What happens? Your show shows the wicked the true path to the light of the Lord and to be wed to become pure. What? You know I grew up in a town with the same belief, right? What? Then how could you fall so far from the grace of the Lord? Uh, after my two sisters got pregnant, after my town had one of the highest rates of STDs, and of course now we're rated as the town with the most responsibility for, what did you say, penguin murders? Well, if that's the way... The Lord wants it, right? He works in mysterious ways. I've heard it all before. Please. I've also heard that if you soak, you don't sin. That you can use duct tape as a condom. That the back door doesn't count. That you'll go blind and walk backward for the rest of your life if you rub one out. Come on! Can I ask you a question? Of course you can. When's the last time you two freaks had sex? Never. We stay faithful. Not even on our wedding night. Oh, Jesus, you poor balls. Alright, I appreciated the show, but... Alright, sounds like security's here. Any final words that'll turn me to the light? What should I say to the millions of people that want to have sex before marriage? I hope you prepare them to die and meet the devil himself, you piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah, I'll try my best. Security, get these two blue ball bastards out of here. And I said, oh, 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 I've got a place to go, oh, oh, I've got a hand to hold. After the sun goes down. I've got a place to hide Now that you're by my side Nothing's gonna get me down Cause I've got a hand to hold Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does... Or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.